Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. Welcome back, everybody. This is part two of my data science conversation with Aditya Shivkumar. Let's get right into it. Walk us through, Aditya. You mentioned that there's there's things that you're working on right now in the CMS world. I'm curious to have you walk through some of those use cases for, okay, how can we take CMS data and extract really useful and predictive information out of it? How about you walk through a few of those things just to give people an idea of where are some areas where they might be able to go to work. And then maybe after that, we could talk a little bit about some of the other EHS and S areas and how, how things might fit. Sure. Yeah. So the, the most common type of projects that we're building is around proactive compliance systems that we touched upon a little bit. So, you know, we're working with facilities, working with organizations to build something on the lines of early warning indicators. And these early warning indicators, uh, you know, help in real time or in near real time. So we can use an example here to illustrate the utility of, you know, such systems, right? So a monitor, you know, consider a monitor at a facility, you know, reading elevated moisture content in the exhaust after some changes to the processes, right? And this could be due to, you know, n number of reasons, leaks, issues with valves and stuff like that. This monitor data is used in a bunch of, you know, downstream channels in calculations, and these calculations are carried over to your compliance reports. Therefore, the compliance data, just because, you know, your moisture is elevated because of some process issue or leak, uh, kind of translates, you know, into a compliance, a biased compliance data. And it's arguably not representative of what you know, emissions you're monitoring, right? So, so in this case, if you, if you knew, you know, the normal levels of your moisture content during a particular operating scenario, right? We can catch these things before they uh, become a compliance issue and you can fix them right away. So, so proactive compliance systems, you know, they have some predictive power. Uh, the way it works is we, we use a large number of historical data historical uh, data points to identify the profile of parameters. You know, it can be any process parameter, it can be emissions, it can be, uh, you know, diluent, O2, CO2 percent, uh, moisture content, things like that under different operating conditions. And we use that to create, if you will, bounds or operating, optimal operating ranges or bounds. And so this allows the operators and the environmental managers to identify an issue in real time or near real time. And in addition, this can, you know, you can, they can, they can use this normal operating ranges to do what if analysis, right? So, so you can, you can use this data and basically simulate how your systems will react or will operate, will perform with respect to compliance or efficiency under various operating scenarios. And you can plan ahead for this. So we're also, you know, we're taking the system, proactive system that helps to kind of visualize or plan where your processes will be or where your emissions will be and combining that with, 
you know, real-time DCS system, you know, digital control system, where you can get, you know, minute-level data. So, you know, to, to make the entire system, you know, as real-time as possible. So, so it seems like the the combining, you've got multiple data sets there, and inevitably they relate to one another in a meaningful way. And that may not have been the thought process, but really when you look at that data closely and you correlate it, you start to get some really useful stuff out of it. And I know there's other use cases outside of that. There's some use cases I think we've talked about around things like equipment, reliability, and dashboarding. What are some of the other ones that yeah. that jump to mind as really valuable? Absolutely. Um, so the equipment reliability is is another one. And, you know, again, that's it's, it's kind of a common project we work on. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of interest looking at, you know, the reliability of, you know, monitoring equipment or, you know, any kind of process equipment. So basically, for uh, when it comes to equipment reliability, we are using the monitor data to check the health of the equipment, right? It comes kind of comes down to that. We want to get a pulse on the equipment's health so we can identify any decline or deterioration in its functionality. And if you think about the equipment manufacturers, they run their own reliability assessments. And those reliability assessments are probabilistic. So the way it works is, you know, the reliability assessments basically comes out, they give you, you know, one in thousand component or one in thousand analyzers will fail before the expected life. That's the kind of reliability assessment that happens in a manufacturing setting. But that does not provide any tangible assurance for a specific equipment in a, at a specific particular facility, right? So that's where the data aspect comes in. And we can use the data monitored by the, the equipment and kind of make decisions around repairing it or you know, even replacing the equipment. So we are doing this for, you know, at multiple facilities where we look at the uh, maintenance information, the calibration drift information, things like that. And uh, statistically to show that, you know, the, the functionality of the equipment is declining or it's not declining, uh, right? And this helps to, you know, to kind of reduce the uh, amount of money spent on buying new equipment. Maybe if you have a few more years that you can use and, and keep the equipment and not buy a new one, or you can, you know, avoid catastrophic failures by replacing them in, you know, proactively. So I think that the, the use case for this is, is really valuable because it directly relates to the, uh, you know, directly relates to compliance. If your equipment fails, right, so you may be out of compliance. So it also helps the compliance aspect. It's not just the uh, the monetary benefit of being able to use an equipment longer. It's also the the, the catastrophic failure and the, the compliance benefit you get out of it. Aditya, is there a bit of a, for, for things like reliability, that's an interesting one because that could apply to a lot of different things. Is there a, um, I'm going to use the wrong terminology, but is there a softer, more subjective side to that in, in that in that there's a comparison between, you know, how maintenance has been done versus recommendations and, and things like that? Or is it more just, you know, data and, and, and calibration based? And hopefully I'm asking that correctly, but I'm, I'm just curious. No, that's absolutely, that's a, that's a great question. Yes, there's definitely a qualitative side to this. Okay. It's not just quantitative because the data uh, obviously, you know, cannot tell the entire story, specifically when you're talking about equipment and when you don't know how 
you know, the, the way it's maintained at a facility, right? See, uh, so you have to look at other qualitative information, you know, what kind of maintenance was performed, how often, things like that, and then take a decision. So the quantitative side, you know, helps a lot, but you do need the qualitative story to, you know, get a full picture. Gotcha. Okay. That, that makes, that makes sense. That's an interesting one. Cause I think that could be widely applicable. And I know a couple of the other ones that you and I have talked about uh, might, might be more common out in the space, but I'm wondering if you could just touch on them where from a development of an emissions limit or, or perhaps development of a discharge limit, depending on how much data is available. So things like uh, limit development, I'll call it. And then, sort of dashboarding and things like that, probably a little more common, but I was wondering if you could speak to those and, and some of the things that that you see in that space that might be useful for people to hear. Yeah, no, in the permitting space, we've been using, there are you know, a couple of white papers out, we've been using uh, statistics to come up with permit limits. And, you know, think about, you know, stationary sources such as, you know, boilers, uh, you know, combustion turbines, for example, have different emissions profile when starting up and shutting down, right? So in the normal permitting process, you you know you use backed or you have you know a predetermined kind of emission limits during steady state operation, and that is simple. But when you talk about startup and shutdowns, it becomes complicated because there's no way to quantify that you know directly. So you know EPA has been you know going back and forth around startup shutdown malfunction limits for years. Um, and the common practice uh, with the states and permitting agencies, local agencies, has been to use, you know, manufacturer's data or to use limits from a similar unit, uh, identical unit installed elsewhere in the country, right? So the, the problem with this approach is, you know, the manufacturer's data is is mostly, you know, measured or, uh, you know, calculated at ideal conditions. And it does not represent the actual worst case scenarios in, in the real world uh, when it's installed in the field. And uh, identical limits from other units, that, uh, you know, they do not take into account the, the site-specific characteristics or the operation uh, you know, behavior uh, or, or how the units are operated, right? It's, it's not unit-specific. So that's where you know, monitor data and statistics come in handy. So, so what you can do is you can, you can collect a lot of data, startup shutdown data, and use statistics to come up with a unit, you know, unit-specific, transparent, objective uh, emission limits. And you can propose these limits and you know get it approved. And we've worked with multiple state agencies, and they've been very welcoming of this procedure because you're showing all the data. You're not pulling a number out of thin air, right? So you're showing that this unit started up like hundred times, and you know, based on the data, we are seeing this is what we can comply with. And that's as realistic as possible. So I think there's a lot of application there. And also when you think about uh, you know, coming up with a baseline emission limit, you have a lot of monitored data and you have to come up with a baseline emission limit. You can't just pick the maximum value or anything yeah. like that. You need to take a look at it, separate the outliers, do analysis on it, and come up with a representative value that that will, you know, that makes sense. And and both, you know, the, the both side, you know, agency and the um, the facility is, is comfortable with, and that's where again statistics come in. It's very transparent. You can see, you know, what you're doing, and um, you can, add, well, you know, also you know demonstrate that how you basically arrived at these limits. So it's very transparent and it's 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 objective. So it's 
really helpful for facilities that are struggling with, uh, you know, startup shutdown kind of limits, uh, permit limits. So, Aditya, we highlighted a couple of things around continuous monitors and around limit establishment. I haven't quite talked about dashboarding yet, but I do. I want to explore a little further around. We looked at those examples because they're sort of ready examples that people can hear and say, hmm, okay, that's interesting. Where where else? And maybe you could weave dashboarding into this. But when you look at an EHS program and a sustainability program, what are the one or two other areas that you look at and say, wow, this part of an EHS program or this part of a sustainability program is just ripe to look at data, have data available that you can then get some really useful stuff out of? Like, what, where do you see this being, you know, readily used? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the dashboards is, you know, are, are most common and we hear them all the time, dashboard and KPIs. But dashboard and KPIs are, are common for a reason because you can use any kind of data to, to build a dashboard to, you know, provide insights, quick insights uh, without going, you know, spending a ton of time going through the details, right? That's the purpose of a dashboard. And if you think about EHS, uh, you know, climate or air quality, any field will benefit from having dashboards. And dashboard is not just, uh, you know, summarizing data. It's It has to be very, um, you know, it has to be thought through, right? You want to show the data that actually makes sense and you want to be sure about your audience and you want to be able to show build dashboard for the right audience the right dashboard for the right audience right if you're think about if you think about you know corporate they want to look at a different dashboard um, as opposed to a you know an operator right he's concerned about something else he or she's concerned about the things that are that a corporate person is not concerned about so dashboards are very versatile and can be used in you know for in, in different fields ehs um, you know, climate, uh, you know, climate science, uh, sustainability, and all of this can be kind of rolled up to, to you know, to come up the dashboard. In the EHS space and sustainability space, I think there is a huge, you know, huge momentum to adopt data practices, right? So the, the use cases we discussed now, you know, can be applied to health and safety, right? It can be applied to water and wastewater like you just mentioned, discharge limits. So you can apply the same kind of permit limit determination, the same kind of statistics to, you know, to has-based or discharge levels. And in sustainability and climate change space, for example, uh, you can apply statistics to energy use, right? To energy use from, uh, from processes, from buildings, and this can be analyzed to gain, um, you know, to gain efficiencies and reduce carbon footprint. And if you think about the ambient air quality space, there are a lot of products that that are using satellite data and uh, to supplement local ground level sensor data to quantify the air quality, right? So you can get hyper-local air quality information, you know, at any place and, and on the globe, right? So you can, uh, there are dashboards, there are uh, websites that are actually doing this. They're really cool. Uh, some of it is citizen science, some of it is, uh, you know, just research-based, combining satellite-level data and ground-level data to give you, like, really high-resolution air quality information. And there are really cool applications of um, image recognition. That's where, you know, you, you talk about advanced, you know, techniques like machine learning and AI. Um, you have 
these techniques applied to flare monitoring. Uh, that's a really emerging uh, kind of technology where instead of humans or operators looking at hours of flaring images or videos, you can train a statistical model to analyze the, the flaring activity captured by cameras or video cameras, right? And you have um, predictive emissions monitoring systems or PEMs, which have been, they've been around for some time, but they're becoming you know, more popular because of these advances. The, the other major application, I think, when you think about EHS and sustainability is risk assessments, uh, right? So uh, climate change mitigation, risk assessments, um, you know, this can be uh, around water use, land use, uh, carbon footprint, uh, material scarcity, and you can run what-if analysis. You can run, you know, Monte Carlo analysis on some of these metrics or, or impacts, and you can simulate where businesses will be, you know, two years, ten years, five years down the line, and what the uh, and the impacts of these businesses. Again, health and safety specifically. Uh, that is a lot of untapped potential in um, analyzing safety, safety level data, like, you know, injury rates, uh, inspection findings, uh, resource, you know, usage and much more. And I think we covered this, yeah, the, the utility of NLP, natural language processing in, 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 you know, previous podcasts, NLP can extract information, uh, you know, insights from huge corpus of text data, right? So I was part of this project where, you know, we use NLP to find trends in inspection logs to identify near misses and low-hanging fruits, uh, right? So I think these predictive metrics are really useful in health and safety because you can quickly identify, you know, uh, a lot of information with respect to exposure and injuries that can, you know, help protect people. And automation is, is you know, part of all this, right? It's, it's valuable and can make any of these, you know, the, the use cases, the projects we discussed, several times more efficient so having systems automated is, is super, you know, is super useful. And when, when you talk about, uh, you know, data and uh, data science and its applications, one thing that brings all that together is a system, right? Uh, so there, is, there should be a platform or a system that brings all of the data together, manages it, and makes it available for analysis. And this is really important. And this is part of the, the digital infrastructure or digital transformation where all of the data is being digitized and is available to do whatever analysis you want to do. And I think that's that's what our you know DSP folks, digital solutions uh, folks do, right? So they bring all of the data from the sidelines and um, you know make it available in a digital platform. And creating this platform unlocks a ton of hidden value and helps build you know resilient enterprise. Yeah, DJ, I was going to say, as you went through that, I was joined by Stephanie Taylor, colleague of ours on the digital side. You mentioned all the stakeholders that are involved in a process of making dashboarding and things like that more valuable. We talked a lot about that, you know, the the, the ability to bring all the people together, think about the different lenses that they look through, uh, being so critical. And there's a, there's an art and a science, I would say to that that's interesting you mentioned a lot as you went through there and and uh, you know i think where i might finish us up here is with any general advice you have but 
first off, I would just maybe recap some of this. You mentioned some advancement, some evolution, some different tools. You know, you mentioned AI, you mentioned natural language processing, predictive monitoring. You mentioned the remote sensing piece. How does that fit in with data? So there's a lot of new stuff going on. It's pretty exciting time because there's all these tools that we have available. And I think they all, and I hope as we've gone through this, our listeners have heard some sparks around where, what part of their programs can they maybe look at differently or, or just a different idea of how to take a look at, at, at your programs out there. But I think all these tools help us do two key things. One, they help us improve our, our EHS and, and sustainability programs. I mean, they certainly help us do that. But then to the point of digital, they also help us tell the story right. of them. Like they help us tell the success story that we've been developing here uh, within the programs over the last couple of decades, which is increasingly important. So I think it's exciting stuff and it's, it's real timely. Adich, I'll, I'll kind of let you close out. Is there any other thoughts you have around that or just any other sort of general advice that you have for the, the listeners out there as they're thinking about their programs and data? Yeah, uh, there are a couple of pitfalls. Uh, when you talk about data, data is all good. You're using you know, data analytics, uh, creating an organization that is based on data-driven decision-making process. Those are all you know, great things to have. Uh, but there are some things, you know, pitfalls or gotchas um, you know, when working with data. And I think uh, it'll be nice to kind of you know, go over my experience and the mistakes that I made. So I can think, you know, put this in like two buckets. You know, one is technical, the other is a project level or product level uh, things or issues or, or pitfalls, if you will. So under technical, I think the, the first aspect is the data understanding part. We talked about at length, you know, in the, at the beginning of this, the podcast, you know, data quality is super important. And the objective is also very important to keep the data project on track. Uh, so the question we need to ask is, do we know what we want to know, right? So you have to answer that question, be very clear about it, and then move forward with, you know, the data project or data analysis, collecting data, because the steps, you know, second and third step, collecting data, preparing data is very time intensive, resource intensive. So uh, you have to be sure about what you want, as sure as possible, and uh, and then move forward. Um, and, you know, blindly using algorithms, you know, methods are unlikely to work. So data science is kind of interdisciplinary and uh, and it's a, it's a tool, right? So we need some kind of domain expertise to guide this tool. You know, for example, if you're trying to quantify, you know, variation in pollutant levels without understanding the basic chemistry, right? You won't get the right results. So you need to have people, uh, stakeholders that, you know, know that the, have some domain expertise and uh, that will really help kind of shape the, the data project. The second, I think, is a, is a very common pitfall in, in data science and any kind of statistics is complexity. Uh, complexity, uh, you know, always complex does not mean better. Um, you know, simple techniques are much better at, you know, giving us results that are, you know, easy to understand, are more interpretable. And a common issue in, you know, in data science is overfitting uh, due to complexity. Uh, so, you know, since the future is not going to be exactly like the past, we need methods that can identify, you know, the general relationship uh, without accounting for the noise. 
So having prior knowledge, again, domain expertise really helps because you can hone in on some of those things. At the project or product level, you know, uh, managers are sometimes kind of unclear about how to start using data. And so the way I think about it is I ask a few questions to make sure I'm on the right path. You know, the questions like, can we solve the problem if we had more data or supporting data or some kind of empirical information? Or, you know, can we improve the existing solutions or methods if we had more data? Or can we automate it and optimize the solution and make it more uh, efficient, right? So if you answer, you know, answer to the question is yes, then, you know, it's a data project. You can use data to extract value out of it. Uh, the last thing here, the word of caution for, you know, people who are working with data, uh, especially managers and product managers, is to, to have, you know, calibrate your expectations. Data science is a data project, may not be, you know, it's not a silver bullet. And some of the projects can be, you know, experimental. And, you know, we're relying on data to tell a story. And sometimes the insights may not be actionable right away. But you can still come out with a better understanding of your systems and incrementally, you know, refine your process. And that's what makes an organization or an enterprise truly data-driven. Great insights, Aditya. I really appreciate your time on a very timely topic. And to all our listeners out there, as always, we hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company.